0: Whether you're looking for inspiration to get started or strategies to get growing, I am here to help you create abundance in every area of your life and business. Welcome. Hey everyone, welcome to this episode of the Wealth and Purpose Podcast. I'm Patty Lennon, and I have a special guest today, Marjorie Phoenix. So Marjorie came into my world in the way that sometimes people do through Facebook and as I followed her through Facebook, I found my way to her story. She is the author of the book Who the Hell Do You Think You Are? Oh my God, I love that title so much. I think, you know, there's a gift in writing a title that makes a difference just when someone reads it and that one packs a punch. And I'm gonna share more about. You know, my reaction in reading that book as we talk. But I, the reason I thought Marjorie was such a valuable guest for you to hear from today is that through her own personal journey, using art to heal, which began in 2010, that happened because she left a seven year marriage after being a stay at home mom and found herself in jail, homeless, and fighting for her child and her life. Her relationship to domestic violence and now what she does in the world, helping others who are learning to thrive after domestic violence, is just, it creates so much hope in my soul that I'm so excited to hear what she has to say to all of us. She founded the Giving Voices Project, and through that, she helps. Women heal through the creative arts, and with that, I'm going to turn it over to Marjorie. Tell Marjorie, welcome, and please share whatever I didn't share already that you want the listeners to know about you heading into this.
1: Sure. Well, thank you so much for having me, Patty. And um, you're you're right about you know my situation um, in my marriage, and after seven years, and just going from an upper middle class stay at home mom. To uh, 24 hours going to jail, coming out, being homeless, and um, having the fight of my life for almost two years uh, for my child, uh, my dignity, and for my life again. But God had a different plan through that. Because of that, I created the Giving Voices project, and what we and what we really do is we are the storytellers. For survivors of abuse. We tell their stories using creative self-expression. We tell their stories through the arts and multimedia, theatrical productions, wearable art, film, um, any sort of artistic form that we can let their story be known because we want to be able to educate society about the effects of abuse. And so we give them a... Um, an intimate look into the hearts and the minds and the lives uh, of survivors. So it's some of the most important work that, that I've done.
0: So now I know your story. Share with the people who are listening how you got to this place where you were, you had this life, right? Probably the life that the person listening right now sounds pretty similar to her life. And you ended up homeless and, you know, fighting for for your child. What, what happened?
1: Well, the signs were there. And, you know, for most of us, when we finally realize and wake up that we're in an abusive relationship, we also can look back and see that the signs are there. But it was a verbally, emotionally, and financially abusive marriage. And it was that type of relationship even before, but I had no idea. But this was the life that my mother always told me about. This was the kind of man that she told me that I needed to have. I needed a provider. And he came from a good stock and a good family. And we created the whole white picket fence you know, um, life and um, built a home and I got to stay home and I love doing that. I love being there for my, for my children, my oldest child um, from a previous relationship. Um, she was 18 and her senior in high school at the time. And then our child together, she was six at the time when all of this happened. And so i have been home with her from the time she was born. But what was happening in the marriage that I, I, I knew was a bit controlling was just things like giving me an allowance and not letting me have any say in um, our financial matters and how things are, are decided. Um, not allowing me to travel to spend time with my family alone or with with the children. Looking through all of my cell phone records and following up on the on the calls that were there to see who I was speaking to. Um, hacking into my emails. And things just started to just escalate over time to the point where there was even some um, sexual assault. And I will say this, I know that, you know, if you're married to someone, there are certain duties that we, we feel like we have to fulfill. But if someone is forcing you to have unwanted sex without your consent, husband or not, it's not right. So there were things like that. There, you know, there was just so many things that just kept layering of escalation that after a while was just not good for me. And Patty, I could feel myself just dying the slow death um, spiritually inside and just sort of becoming small and shrinking. We were very active in our church as well. And so, you know, we went to our pastor and the advice coming there was just pretty much, you know, submit to your husband, pray all of these different things to sort of, you know, keep me in submission. But you know, finally it it just, everything just got to a head where um, I was being accused of things. I was being called names and I'll have to tell you why I titled the book, Who the Hell Do You Think You Are, is because just a few months before this happened, I sat across from him at the dinner table and I was saying to him that I feel like I want to work with women in the world. I wanted to do more than just be a mom and, and be a wife. And I felt like there was more work for me to do. And I wanted to do something with women. And he looked at me and he asked me, Who the hell do you think you are? What makes you think that these women will listen to you? You have no formal training, no education. And I sat there like, you know, I couldn't answer him. And because it wasn't so much that he asked me who the hell do I think I am. It was that I really didn't know who I was. And Mm -hmm. I realized in that person, I had no self-identity outside of being a wife and a mother in this situation. And I asked him, I said, well, what do you want for me as my husband, what do you want for me? And he sat there for a moment and he just looked at me and he says, I just want you to stop having these pipe dreams, you know? And I, I left, I went to bed and I felt so defeated. So I answered the question in the book. <laughs> I answered the question. Yeah. So, but anyway, that particular morning, he, I had already told him a few weeks ago that I was going to, I was going to leave the marriage. I felt at that point that I just couldn't continue like this. It wasn't healthy for me. And I had planned, I found a job Something that I could work from home. I had, you know, I said, look, I don't want the house, I'll find a little apartment and we'll work out the custody arrangement. This doesn't have to be anything ugly. And he asked me to wait until after the holidays so we don't disrupt anything with the girls. And and I went right along with it. And while I was doing that, he was seeing an attorney. And he had already put Plans in action. And so he, that morning woke up and he made a comment to me in bed that if anything should happen to him, he has a mind leaving a note to hold me responsible. And when he said that I, my heart just dropped because up until that point, he had been sick a lot. He had been missing work. He had been every time I turned around running to the restroom and and vomiting and, and saying that he was ill and he was sick because I wanted to end the marriage and all this stuff was happening. And then when he said that to me, I just got these chills and my heart just dropped. And I felt like I was in danger. I felt like, you know, I didn't know what this man would do, especially saying something like that. So that ended up escalating into an argument between us and he started calling me names and it triggered me and he got me and I threw a wedding album at him, our wedding album. I threw it at him. It hit the wall. He ducked to the floor. The pictures went flying everywhere and he ran into the restroom and locked himself in the restroom. And while he's in there, I'm on the floor. I'm crying. I'm I'm tearing up our wedding pictures. I'm throwing them in the garbage. I'm just, and I don't know how much time lapsed, but before I knew it, the police were at the door and they came in, two officers. He went outside with one of the officers. The other one came in, took my statement. So basically they were going to take our statements and just send it to the DA's office and leave it up to them. And when they were done, I got the girls together, was getting in the garage, getting in the car, going to take them to school. And uh, the police officer stopped me and he said, ma'am, I'm sorry, but your husband is adamant about pressing charges. Uh, he claims he is afraid for his life and I, my hands are tied. I have to take
0: Can I stop you there? Because I think there are so many questions I have as someone who's not in that situation. Right. And it comes as someone that I think wants to understand how to help if there's someone around me that's in your situation, which is, you know, what it seems so unreal that throwing a wedding album could, like, that your husband could have this kind of power inside the legal system when there was no other, like, proof. So, That's all he had to do. He just had to make that statement, and then your life was locked up. Is
1: that how it
0: works? That's exactly. Actually, he
1: used the law that was in place to protect someone like me, someone who actually was in a home with an abuser. That law was there for women who may have fared for their life, and they they could tell the police officer at that time, you know, he he tried to put his hands on me or he put his hands on me or he threatened me. And they could remove, you know, remove the husband or, or whoever the man from the home or whoever the abusive person was. And usually right. it is just to remove the person from the home, right? But he took it a step further and said he wanted to press charges.
0: Yes, and then okay, and only because we have a limited amount of time, and I've read the book. So ultimately, he gets a restraining order on you. You can't go home. Your daughter can't eventually can't get her things. The daughter from a previous relationship. Like I, I I mean, maybe I'm being foolish or or naive, but from what I've heard from women, and I've usually met them long after they've left. The violent situation, they didn't have the system work that well for them. How why did it work so well for him? and there are so many women it's not working for? And maybe that's not a fair question for you. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know because
1: I think I was put in the position where it looked like I was the abuser. It, it, he so he was able to create this narrative. Mm. that I was the unstable one because I threw this wedding album. And so there was nothing there to show that I had made any phone calls previously. There was no police officer was ever I ever called to our home before. So he was able to create this narrative and come in armed with one of the best attorneys. Because again, remember when I came out, he had closed all the bank accounts. So I was left with nothing, no resources, nothing. And he... Just he armed himself with the best attorney he could have. He had time to work on his story, Patty. Sometimes you're not prepared for mm. what this type of person can do, and that was one of the first things that I wanted to tell women coming out of this. I said, "You have to be so many steps of heads because they will always try to do anything to destroy your reputation, to destroy your life, and some of the ways that you." would not even imagine some of the stories that other women have told me to the lengths that these men have gone to for custody of the child, to keep them away, to not give them anything. It is, it's incredible. And so this was the length that he was willing to go to. And it just so happened that I went in front of a judge That, you know, he says he's going by the books. So he went by the books and he left my child in the home with him and virtually just left me homeless.
0: And I will tell you, those of you listening, when you read the book, like there's so much more depth there. And I mean, it's just, it's, it's so mind blowing. And I had warned Marjorie of this before we started the interview that I'm still bringing a lot of having just come off the book. I'm still feeling so much, so much outrage for what you went through, Marjorie. But the thing that I think comes through in the story that you tell is that you can see that God walked you the path that God walked you so that you can create the solution that you've now created. And I'm just curious if at any point during this, you could feel that at the the lower points.
1: Yes. Yes. I can tell you this, that night in jail, I was on a mattress, a cot on the floor, and I felt that God was going to do something with this. And I didn't know what. I had no idea because I thought that this is the worst that it could get with me being in jail. I'm thinking I can go home, I can maybe pack up my stuff, and I can, you know, whatever. But I had no idea what else was yet to come and what God was going to do. And I can just see it how it went from just having faith and believing that this experience is meant for so much more. Mm -hmm. And that's something that I tell a lot of the survivors. I say that your story is meant not just as your life lesson and journey, But it is there for others because I will never forget. I never wanted to write this book, Patty, but I'll never forget sitting in my living room in turmoil about this because I felt this pull and this push about writing the book. And I could hear in my spirit, God say to me, this is not about you. It is about the women that have gone through or will go through something like this that I want them to know that the same way I was there for you, I will be there for them and I still I still cry when I when I say that because it I see now why it was meant to be. And you know, and it's funny I tell people sometimes <laughs> that I if I could have done it again, I, I would do it again. I would have mm-hmm. the experience again because there's no way that I could be here and doing the work that I am doing in the world if I had not. And that is the thing I want any survivor to hold onto, to know that what you have experienced, it is there for a purpose and not just the shaping of who you are, but the shaping of a better world or a better community, you know, or a better society, whatever that is, it's to better shape something and create. And it's so funny how the arts came into it because I was never I never considered myself a creative person but art started for me as basically looking at my life at this point like a blank canvas and god saying to me you now have the opportunity to create what it is that you want from this experience and then through different expressive arts mindful practices developing rituals within my life to where I can express myself creatively, I found different coping tools. And then I was able to take that and share that with other survivors. And it was like the seed was being planted within me. So creating the life that I want, helping other survivors create the life that they want, creating this organization to tell the stories as well of, of the survivors it just everything was just so beautifully and intricately connected together
0: i love that i mean that's just such a such a such an important example of the way that the divine can kind of weave mm. herself into all of this and i know your word is god and for those of you listening it can be whatever your word is yes. so with the work that you're doing, you know, I think a lot of it is work that requires, I would imagine, a helper, meaning, you know, someone's on the other side of this situation, and you're helping them bring their voice to the world through some artistic means. How is it now in this this period of, you know, shelter in place? How is this affecting, you know, your work and the work you want to do going forward?
1: Yes. Yeah. Many women right now, and that's that's you know the biggest group that I that I've worked with, they're looking for an outlet. They're looking for a coping mechanism. They're actually looking for a way to tell their story. And um we know right now with the shelter in place and everything that's going on with COVID nineteen that we have seen and this is globally, they have seen an increase in the number of cases that have been coming up with violence in the home. And there's so many things that are exacerbating that right now, because you have, you know, people confined in close corners together. So, you know, small spaces, everyone together, the kids are there, you know, you're trying to homeschool your children, money may be tight right now, you know, there's just so many things. And so now you're having to be in that home with that abuser, um, you know, for longer periods of time and wondering, how are you going to survive this? How are you going to cope with this? And that's tough because I don't want to ever tell women how to cope with staying with their survivor. But I know that leaving for them is their choice and their time. So, you know, I try to share with them different things that they can do, different coping skills that they can have during that time to just help them get through things, you know, as simple as journaling. And if you can't journal because of privacy issues, maybe looking for some other outlets, you know, like painting and um, coloring mandalas, puzzles and, you know, and just sort of finding and carving out that safe space for yourself that you can go into, retreat into, to be able to maintain at this time. But if they're ready to leave, if they really have, there are ways that they can go. It seems right now that it may be a lot more difficult to leave, but it's not. There's a lot of ways that they can get out of there and get to a safe space, there's a lot of resources available for them to do that. And we just have to make sure that they know that it's there, that they know that the resources are there, the services are there, that when they're ready, that they, they can still get out.
0: Thank you. That's so helpful. And it, it's such a good reminder that I think as someone who's the, you know, potentially the person that wants to help, right? That wants to yes. assist is to hear and i've had it drilled into my head but i know how important it is to drill it and drill it over and over again is that the choice has to be made that that there is potential for the choice to not be made yes and that that is that one person most likely a woman but that one person's choice so how does someone who's you know in my situation let's say that is wondering should I be looking for something? Should How do I make sure that I'm doing what I need to do as a friend, a sister, an aunt, a cousin to make that space as possible for that person to be safe, whatever that means for her?
1: Right. So first of all, don't judge. One of the biggest questions that people have is why don't They just leave like it's so easy. And believe me when I tell you, a woman is at a higher risk or victim is at a higher risk of being killed or harmed when they leave. So, leaving is a very delicate thing. And that is something that has to be planned out. If you want to support someone that you know is going through that, don't judge them because they're not ready yet. Create that safe space for them that they know that you are a sounding board, that you will listen to them without the judgment, and that you can have that empathy of understanding. If you don't think you can have that, then maybe you're not the best person for them to speak to. So that's something that you're going to have to check yourself with, but you have to be able to hold that space for them and then be open to them if. They're taking baby steps to working a plan that it's a plan and that it's safe and that they know that you are there for them whenever they need it and get as much knowledge and information and education about the resources available to help them, ways for them to cope and just being there, like I said, Patty, without the judgment, willing to listen and just holding that space for them.
0: Thank you. And what about, you know, if, because as you were like talking, I was thinking back and again, a lot of the women I know are on the other side of their situation. So I'm hearing their stories sort of with hindsight and, you know, with their own wisdom in the story. But when you said that about financial abuse, that was such an interesting concept that I hadn't really thought about. But I think it's something that's the one that I think we have more visibility to, maybe not in these current conditions, like your friend is out with you and she doesn't have the money because her husband hasn't given her the money. Or I guess my question is, if we don't know that that person for sure is in the situation, what should or could we be doing to sort of create a safe space to let them know we could help or we're willing to help or does that question make sense?
1: Well, if you're not sure, but there's like some indication that there may be an issue. Is that what you're saying? Are you, are you getting some hints of that?
0: No, Yeah. I mean, I don't have someone specific in mind, but now that I'm thinking right. through, I'm realizing the people I know, it started with the financial control their husbands had. Right. Over them. And right. I'm thinking back that, yeah, well, I know friends who I don't, as far as I know, they're not in a abusive situation, but I definitely know that the financial power di- dynamic is yeah. off. Right. And so now I guess it's not even that I suspect it's saying, I think I want to know with without knowing that someone in my world is in this situation, is there something I should or could be doing that sort of sends out the bat signal that mm-hmm. I'm a safe space? Right,
1: right. Um, I think in having those conversations around financial independence, around money management, that is an important thing for women. And I know a lot of your topics are around um, the creation of wealth in our lives. And um, especially for women, we we need to have more education and knowledge and know and empowerment to know that we can create that money, that income, that wealth for ourselves. So I think in in women sitting down and being able to have those conversations around finances, a lot of times when I when women get together and we talk about money, it seems to be around the strain or the lack thereof having the money, right? And the struggles that we're having with that. And especially when you're married to to someone. And so I think us having those types of conversations about creating that income. Like for me, before I even knew that I was, what I was experiencing was financial abuse. My mother used to say to me to take $25 every two weeks when I got money for groceries to, to buy food for the house and put it aside in a bank account. Now something as small as that I didn't even want to do Patty, because I felt like, well, I don't want to take food out of the mouths of my family by mm. putting money aside but I, had I just done something as small as that I could have had something there for me a little nest egg I'm I'm right now I'm I'm you know I'm counseling with a woman and she is going through that that process and we talked about that and that is something that she just did for herself. It was only like $10 because she didn't want it to, to look too obvious, but putting that money aside. So just having conversations, no, not so much in directing that, but just having those types of conversations about financial security for us, planning, mm-hmm. wealth planning, financial planning, um, looking at things like life insurance policies and financial investments. and just feeling comfortable about us as women having those types of conversations that we really think are just, you know, something for men to talk about.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, that was that in general, I think is so important, because I think there we really are socialized as females. At least I'm hoping the younger generations are, are being socialized differently. But those of us who are above the age, I'd say of 30, we've We were socialized as young girls that that's not something to worry about. Like whether we realized it or not, that was the message we got.
1: Yes, exactly. And I think, too, you know, I was raised, that's one of the reasons why I married the type of man that I married. My mother kept ingraining in me about finding a provider. She didn't have conversations about me, about my own independence as a woman. But, you know, my father was a provider and my mother was also a stay-at-home mom. So it was sort of just a part of the lineage that I would go that route. And so, you know, here it was, he was a provider, but he was also an abuser. So I was taught to look for that, but I no one talked to me about looking for those signs in someone that would be emotionally or financially abusive.
0: Hmm. God, so much, so much here. Okay. I could keep talking about this with you forever. You are just such a wealth of more than knowledge, just life, life knowledge around this, but I want to make sure everyone knows where to find you. So your nonprofit, the giving voices project can be found at givingvoicesproject.org. If someone either wants to work with you to receive your services or support you? How do they do that?
1: Well, number one, the Given Voices Project is always looking for submissions of stories. So the stories that we tell, we're accepting them from survivors written in the form of poetry, short stories, plays, uh, music. So if you would like to submit your story in that form, you can reach out to us at info. At givingvoicesproject.org. But if, if you're at a place in your life too where you know that you want to take what has happened to you, the lessons that you have learned in your journey, and you want to use your voice in the world to make a difference, then you can definitely reach out to me at marjoriephoenix.com or you can email me at marjorie at marjoriephoenix.com. Dot com, and uh, we can schedule some time to, to talk about about your experience and your story and what the next step is for you. I, I'm doing a series right now about the Order of the Phoenix, why I took on the last name Phoenix. I believe all survivors are phoenixes rising from the ashes and that um, we can use our story in a way that will really bring change to the world.
0: Oh, I love that. I love that. You know, the image of the phoenix rising from the ashes was in my head earlier when we were interviewing. I almost said something to you about it, and it didn't even occur to me that that's your name. Oh, my goodness. All right. And, of course, your book, Who the Hell Do You Think You Are, can be found on Amazon. Is there some other place you'd rather people buy it, or is that where you want them going for it?
1: No, no, they can go there, or you can order it directly from me if you order it from my website. I'll send you an autograph copy. Um, so you can either do it there or on Amazon. It's up to you.
0: Ooh, autographs are always better. <laughs> so, all right, wonderful. Uh, so Marjorie, there's two questions I ask everyone who's on the podcast. The first is, what is your definition of wealth? And the second one is, what do you believe your purpose is? So in either order, what do you think wealth is and, and what is your purpose?
1: Oh wealth is a state of being when you can look around in your life and you are filled with so much gratitude about the people, the surroundings, the environment. it is to me it is the equivalent of abundance and it doesn't always mean that it's money but it is just about the state of being where you feel, just this wealth of gratitude about where you are the people in your lives and 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 everything that's around you so that's wealth for me beautiful and my purpose in the world i truly believe it is to raise up the voices of those of us that have felt like our voices were not heard that we have been silenced in some way. And we want to use our voice to shake things up and to, to bring, you know, to help others and change things in some way.
0: Well, you are definitely living your purpose, girl. That's, that (laughs) is for damn sure. So that's so awesome. So tell me, is there anything else you want someone to hear? You know, I was just, I apologize. I was just trying to, I had my phone off for this interview. But as I mentioned to you before we got on, the paper version of your book I ordered through Amazon never came. So I was reading the Kindle version, not my favorite way to read anybody.
1: Mm. And it was a
0: beautiful quote that I wanted to offer, but no. <laughs> oh, here it is. Okay. So, this is towards the end of the book. Marjorie summarizes afterthoughts to her story. And she says, How many of us have the courage to fight? I'm going to cry. How many of us have the courage to fight for what we want, even when it's a David and Goliath situation? And in your case, it truly was on so many levels. But I think for every person, there's a moment and moments when you feel like, Damn, how do I overcome this giant in front of me? Right to have what I want. And, you know, we didn't spend a lot of time on it, but what was so beautiful in your book was just this constant faith that God was the answer. And I just, I really just loved that so much. So thank you for sharing your story with the world, Marjorie.
1: Thank you for, um, you know, opening up the space to allow me to do that. I, I always appreciate any time that I get a a chance to to share my story with others in the hopes that it will reach someone out there and it will it will make a difference for them in some way so I really appreciate you doing that patty
0: oh my pleasure so um if you are listening right now and not driving I highly recommend you head over to Marjorie's site and order a copy of her book I at minimum you are going to feel just a sense of connection to her. And most likely you're going to have a yujaha about your own life, no matter what is going on. I know I had a few. So thank you again, Marjorie. We'll have the links, all those links that Marjorie mentioned, we'll have them in the show notes, check them out and check Marjorie out. Thank you so much again, Marjorie. Thank you, Katie. Hey, thanks for listening. And if you know someone who needs to hear this message, please share this podcast with them. And if you're feeling really generous, I'd love for you to leave us a review on your favorite podcast app. It helps us reach many more people and it fills my heart with so much joy when I hear what you had to say about what you heard. I am cheering for your success. Have an amazing day.